of tricky holidays to relate to the church. You know, Thanksgiving, that's easy. Christmas, Easter, that's easy. They all have many things we could say about them in relation to our faith. But when you come to Labor Day, and we want to talk about the blessing of work, that gets harder. According to some recent surveys, the vast majority of people in this country are dissatisfied with their jobs. 
And that means they either don't like the field of work that they are currently in, or they don't like the place where they currently work and would like to have a different job. Most people don't think of their work as a blessing. They see it more as a necessity or as a chore to be performed. Work is what I have to do to earn the money, to pay the bills, to provide for my family, to make a living. And they don't necessarily see that as a blessing in their life or see any correlation between their job and the work that they do each day and their faith in Christ. We tend to compartmentalize our lives. I have my work life, I have my family life, I have my church life. When in fact the Bible just mixes it all together. It said the Lord is equally interested in every aspect of your life, your work, your family, and your, your church. And the Bible has some interesting things to say about work. Um, it says that the work we, that we do in this world is worthy of honor and that we should go about our daily work as if we were working for the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? What if you did your job, your daily job, as if Jesus were your boss? Would that change at all the attitude with which you approach it? Would that change the way you do it? I think it probably would. You know, it's interesting to note that Jesus was a carpenter far longer than he was a preacher. <laughs> he only preached three years. And probably as a Jewish boy, he probably began to help his dad in a carpentry shop somewhere around 10, 12 years old. And didn't stop until he was 30. So he spent far longer doing earthly labor, carpentry work, than he did what we would call the work of the Lord. But he did it with honor, and he did it with gratitude, and he found the blessing of that work. In fact, I, I imagine there were a number of times once Jesus started preaching, and once he started dealing with the religious leaders, and, and uh, all these things that were happening to him, there probably were days he said, I wish I was back in the shop. <laughs> You know, I kind of wish I could just go back to Nazareth, get in my shop, shut the world out, and build a table. That's far easier than trying to deal with 12 disciples who don't really get it and who, who I have to keep reminding all the time, and all these crowds that really all they want is what I can do for them. So when the Bible talks about work, it, it talks about it in two ways. First, our, our physical work, our, our work in this world, our daily labor. 
And then it talks about our work for the Lord. There's actually three different phrases. There is the work of the Lord. There is the work for the Lord. And there is the work in the Lord. Now, what's the difference? Well, when we talk about the work of the Lord, it means doing the work that Jesus would do and doing it the way Jesus would do it. You know, back, uh, oh, it's been a number of years ago, uh, it became popular to wear little bracelets and T-shirts and stuff that said WWJD. What would Jesus do? And that was popular for a while, but like all things, it was kind of a fad and it faded. And now you hardly ever see anybody with anything that says WWJD. Although I hope the concept is still very much with us. Because as Christians, that's exactly what we are to do. Every day especially when it comes to making decisions, and especially when we're making decisions in, in relationships. How do we treat people? How do we respond to people? How should we interact with people? We really do need to stop and ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? How would he treat that person? How would he respond to that person? How would he interact with that person? And then make a sincere effort to do that. See, that's the work of the Lord. Doing things in this world the way Jesus would have done them. And then there is the work we do for the Lord. That is earnestly seeking what God would have you to do in this world. What is your purpose? And doing it. It's doing the work that God created for you to do. In Paul's letter to Ephesians, it says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us. So in other words, the moment you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus said, I have a job for you. I have work for you. Now sometimes it can be something very specific, and other times it can be more general. And, and you figure out within that what he wants you to do. Uh, for instance, in my case, uh, I became a Christian at 11. And by the time I was 16, I knew that I was supposed to be a pastor. That I was supposed to serve the church. Now, I can't tell you exactly when that revelation came upon me. I mean, I can't say that on, on October the 3rd at, at 
10.42 p.m., I got it. It was more gradual. And there were a number of influences in my life that each one led me to that decision. Each one pushed me in that direction. This is what you're to do. And once I knew what I was to do, then from that point on, everything in my life was planned with that focus in mind. But you know, God's general will for all of us is that we honor the Lord with our lives. Can you do that as a plumber? Yes. Can you do that as a business executive? Yes. Can you do that as a banker? Can you do that as a lawyer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can you do that as a politician? I'm pushing. I'm pushing. Yes. <laughs> And so when we work for the Lord, we are saying, I am going to do in my life what God would have me do. So we have the work of the Lord doing what Jesus would do, the work for the Lord doing what Jesus would have me do, and then there is work in the Lord. And that is referring to the work that we do that builds our relationship with him, that grows our faith, that moves us forward in the Christian life. And there is a verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that I want to kind of focus on now that we have those three things in mind. The work of the Lord, work for the Lord, and work in the Lord. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now why would he tell us to stand firm and let nothing move us in our work for the Lord? Well, the answer is that when you do anything for the Lord... When you set your mind to serve Christ and to do things Christ's way in this sinful world, you are going to be challenged. You are going to experience some difficulties and some hardships because you have to go against the flow. I often liken Christians to salmon. You know, when I was a child and learned about salmon, I, I thought, well, that's stupid. Why would you swim against the flow? Why would you swim upstream? You see those pictures of salmon jumping up little waterfalls. I was like, well, why do that? 
why don't you just turn around and go, ah, you know, I'm just going to get in the flow and just wash downstream like all the other fish. Because they have within them, apparently, some innate sense that they need to return to that place. And it doesn't matter how hard it is to get there or how many challenges there are, they are going to go. And as Christians, we are to have an innate sense that we cannot just get into the flow of this world and go with it. We live by a different standard. We march to a different drummer. And while the world is saying, go this way, it's easy. There are a lot of benefits to it. Christ is saying, I want you to go this way. So we're, we're going against the flow of this world. And also, anytime we seek to serve Christ, we interfere with Satan's plans in this world. He has his own agenda. And the more people who are living for Christ and serving Christ, we upset his apple cart. And he does not like it. And he will do what he can to try to thwart our efforts for Christ. And so in light of that, the Apostle Paul says that you are to stand firm and let nothing move you. Well, let's look at that some more. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Three times in that passage, the Apostle Paul said we are to stand. And the word he uses, if you go back into the original language of the New Testament, that word we translate to stand is a military term. It's the term that you would use if you were the commander of the army and you had taken this ground and the enemy was coming to take it away from you and you would exhort your troops to take a stand, to hold your position. Don't let the enemy push you back. Don't let the enemy send you into retreat. Stand firm here. And that's the image the Apostle Paul wants us to have. He said, as you live your life in this world, as you do the work of the Lord, and as you work for the Lord, and as you work in the Lord to develop your relationship with Him, stand firm and let nothing move you. And he encourages us by, by telling us a great truth. At the very end of that verse, did you catch it? 
Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Let's stop there a minute. How many times have you gone about a job half-heartedly? Has there been something that you had to do that you didn't want to do, but you were compelled to do it, but you were going to do just the minimal amount that you had to? I've worked a lot of different jobs when I was going through seminary and in college, and uh, I, I worked a lot of different jobs to kind of support the family before I became a full-time pastor. And I was always bothered by people who would go about their work half-heartedly. Because my father taught me, <laughs> if you're going to do something, what? Do it right. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And if he asked me to go out and rake up the rotten apples that fell off the apple tree, you remember that sermon about fruit trees and my disdain for that? <laughs> That's where it comes from. He'd say, go out and rake up those apples. I'd go out there and I'd kind of piddle around and I'd get up maybe half of them. And I'd think, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> and you know, he'd go out, I see apples. <laughs> did they just fall? <laughs> I mean, since you quit, did those fall? Um, well, no, I didn't, I didn't think you meant all the apples. I thought, you know, as long as I got like most of them, I'm back out and get the apples. And some of the jobs that I've had over the years, um, I worked in a couple factories. And one thing I learned about some people that work in factories is they don't really want to work faster than they have to. And, you know, like if there's a line, an assembly line, they don't want that line to go any faster than it's going. And if you decide to work faster, then it might give the boss the idea, oh, we could speed this up. And like that. But see, I felt like I should, if I could do it faster, I should do it faster. If I could do it better, I should do it better. And if I feel that way about an earthly job that gives me a paycheck, shouldn't I feel that way about my work for the Lord? A half-hearted Christian is never going to be able to stand firm and not be moved. If you're half-hearted in your faith, if you're half-hearted in your service to Christ, if you are willing to compromise and to give way, you'll never stand. And so Paul says, stand firm, let nothing move you, and give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Give it all you got. And then he ends with one final thing. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
That's a powerful statement. Have you ever worked at something and all the while you had this nagging sense that this doesn't matter? (laughs) What I'm doing doesn't ultimately matter? I've had some jobs where uh, they would want me to clean up something, you know, they, they, I, I worked in a hardwood flooring factory, and you know, you'd get sawdust everywhere, and they'd say, clean, let's clean up the sawdust, and I'd clean up the sawdust, and 20 minutes later, it's covered with sawdust, and I'd clean up the sawdust, and 20 minutes later, it was covered with sawdust, and there's a part of me that goes, why am I cleaning up the sawdust? Why don't we wait till the end of the day when they're done creating sawdust and then I'll clean up the sawdust. You know, I just, I didn't have a sense of purpose to that. Or when I worked, I managed a pizza restaurant for a while and I did that just long enough to realize I didn't really want to manage a pizza restaurant. I was one of those people that would have said I'm dissatisfied with my job. (laughs) But it didn't matter how many pizzas I made. They wanted more pizza. It was a buffet pizza place. So it was endless. I do have to admit that occasionally I would get a little tired of making pizza and I'd want to find a way to slow down the consumption of pizza. So I'd stick an anchovy out there. You want to stop people from eating pizza on your buffet? You put an anchovy pizza smack in the middle of it. They kind of go up and go, well, uh, oh, no, no, I'm going back to the salad bar. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and I'll tell you, after you've cooked an anchovy pizza, the oven stinks for at least 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's hard <laughs> To do something. It's hard to work with the right attitude. It's hard to give wholehearted effort if you think your work is in vain or lacks purpose. And so the Apostle Paul gives us that assurance that uh, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. But the question is, how can he say that? What is the basis for that statement? And the basis of it is the first 57 verses of 1 Corinthians 15. I read the very last verse. If you go back and read the other 57, you'll find out how he can say that. Because in the other 57 verses, he makes a strong case for why we should have confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why we should believe with all our heart that Jesus is alive. And that we serve a risen Savior. I mean, he himself says it. He says, if Christ is still in the grave, then your faith is futile. It's meaningless. It's purposeless. If Christ is dead, then any work you do for the Lord is wasted. But if Christ is alive, then nothing you do for the Lord 
is wasted. Nothing is in vain. No word of witness that you have, no matter how the person responds, maybe you've thought about this for a long time and you've prayed about it and you've kind of prepared this person in your relationship with them and you finally get a chance to share your faith and tell them about Christ and they respond by saying, no, thank you. <laughs> Not interested. And you're thinking, oh, that's a waste. No, it's not. Because God says my word never comes back void. It never comes back empty. When I put it out there, or when you put it out there on my behalf, it always produces good. Now, you may not see it, and they may not know it, but the time will come when that word of faith that you put into their life will bear fruit. So no word of witness, no act of service. Maybe you go out of your way to act with Christian love and grace and to help somebody and to serve somebody and they act like they could care less. Rather than responding with gratitude, they just take advantage of what you do. And you're thinking, what a waste. That was, that was worthless. No, it's not. Because Christ was honored by that service, even if the person didn't receive it. So no word of witness, no act of service, nothing you ever do in working, in doing the work of the Lord, or working for the Lord, or work in the Lord, is ever wasted or in vain. Let me close with these words of Pastor Warren Wearsby. Yeah, one of the commentaries I read, he said this. He said, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is Paul's hymn of praise to the Lord as well as his closing admonition to the church. Because of the assurance of Christ's victory over death, we know that nothing we do for him will ever be wasted or lost. We can be steadfast in service, unmovable in suffering, abounding in ministry to others, because we know that our labor is not in vain. We serve a risen Savior. And so may we serve fully, giving our full effort. May we stand firm in our service. And may we remember that our service is not in vain. Let us pray. Father, I am so grateful that you have given us this word of encouragement, both for the work that we do here on earth, our daily labor, and for the work that we do because of our relationship with you. I pray, Father, that every day you would help us to honor our work by doing it fully, by doing it wholeheartedly, by doing it as if we are working for you and to stand firm and hold fast in our desire to serve you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Well, it goes without saying that and you can't work, you can't do the work of the Lord or work for the Lord or work in the Lord if you don't know the Lord. I mean, that's the starting point. You can't do a job until you're hired. <laughs> Imagine me walking onto a car lot and getting customers before they get up to the building and say, I can help you. You want to buy a car? And try to sell cars when I don't even work for them. You know, that would never work. And we can't do any of the things that we've just talked about unless the Lord is part of our life. So every Sunday we have that opportunity to offer an invitation. If you're ready to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're ready to be employed by Jesus, to enter into his service, then I want to invite you to come. I want to receive you, pray with you, lead you in a, a confession of faith that says, I believe in Christ and accept him as my Savior. We can arrange for your baptism and you can begin to do the Lord's work in your life. Let's stand together, sing hymn number 95, verses 1 and 2.
Thank you. 